Golazzo is brought to you by ThoughtMob, the essential app for your matchday experience. Get live scores, detailed match stats, notifications for every goal and breaking news from more than 200 leagues and cups around the world. Download it for free on Android and iOS now by searching for ThoughtMob. That's F-O-T-M-O-B. Never miss a moment with ThoughtMob. Muddy News Media. Today, we're talking Captain Future, the midfield legend who made his mark everywhere from Brian McBride to Buenos Aires, and whose story takes in everything from Teletubbies to the world title, the stats, the tats, the full story and facts of Daniele Di Rossi in Golazzo. It's the 26th of May, 2019, Stadio Olimpico in Rome. The place is packed. Francesco Totti's blinking back to tears. Bruno Conti looks like he's about to break down. One man, though, strides calm as ever through his big goodbye as he waves farewell to the club he has loved for 18 years. It is Daniele De Rossi, the subject of today's Golazzo. A bondi to Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. And to James Horncastle, who, James, I believe, was there. That May Day 2019. I was. It was pouring down with rain. Mm. The fans... Um, Even heaven was sad that day. Yes, Rome was crying. But I think uh, Daniele went out the way he would have liked to go out. And he prepared for it, what, two years earlier, seeing his good friend Francesco Totti, fellow Roman, um, have to essentially, in Totti's case, retire and leave the club that uh, he'd always played for. Um, and I think he said the, the hardest part was was actually clearing out his locker at Trigordia after mm. you know going into work every day and not really having to think about the drive it was just automatic um, for him but yeah then seeing him get down on his knees in front of the the Kudavasud and kind of kiss the ground I think this is the the big point about De Rossi is that you know everyone associates uh, Roma with Totti I think Roma fans see themselves in De Rossi right. because De Rossi is someone who through determination um, and sheer will got to play for the team that he loves whereas I think they look at Totti as being someone who had a God-given talent who they can't relate to as much as they can Daniele Daniele I think is is someone who realised the dream that they all, all have He's an exceptionally re- relatable character actually. Mm. Um, th- that's why he's special to Roma fans why is he special to non-Roma fans what, what makes him worthy of a Galazzo Gabriele? the story of the one club man which we take for granted you know I know it pales by comparison to Totti because he was there even longer and also because he did play for another club well yeah I mean look if you come out to it at the end of the uh, at the end of his career hey look this is a guy who upon leaving his club said I want to keep playing and he took a giganto pay cut to move halfway around the world for Boca Juniors which was a club that he knew about the legend he knew about wanting to play on television you cannot begin to tell you while, you know, all the rest of these 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 robots go off to to, to, to go and play to China and you know in China or, or, or the Gulf or West Ham or whatever. Um, <laughs> and you know, here's a yeah, I'm looking at you, Philippe Anderson. Here's a guy who says, you know what, I made this money. I won a World Cup. I'm here. Mm. I've got X amount of games left. 
to make it count, I want to have an experience. I want to go and play at La Bombonera if they'll take me. I mean, that says a lot. Now, obviously, we'd seen this before because, of course, he was very close to going to Manchester City. And then he stayed put. Now, he, and he got a very big contract out of it, but less than he could have made at City. I mean, this resonates with people. that, that There is a connection. I mean, James made a, made a tremendous point. You know, Totti... Totti so gifted, so ethereal almost, so, you know, such an imposing structure of a man. De Rossi is, let's not, I mean, De Rossi was a freak athlete who's also an exceptionally gifted footballer, but of course he wasn't Totti, and I think people, people related to that. Yep, that is Daniele De Rossi by Rico Mendoza and Polly, their tribute to the Roma legend. So, uh, we should point out yep. if you like that kind of music, and of course, you'd be ignorant not to. Um, on uh, Netflix, there's uh, there's an Italian TV show called uh, Suburra, mm. which is two seasons worth, which is sort of like an underworld gangstery type show. But funnily enough, the main character, who's sort of this, this tragic figure, happens to be blonde and from Ostia. No way. A bit like Daniel. Have you, you, you've right. seen it, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, that's not the only connection, of course, with the Roman underworld. No, but when, when you watched it, like, isn't that who you kind of thought of? Like, clearly, this guy's playing this character like he imagines Daniele De Rossi to be. Yeah. I mean, look. I, to the tattoos, to everything. Uh, right? This is one of the fascinating. Parts of subcultures of, of Rome, I suppose, is, you know, in the first place, La Banda della Magliana. And more recently, as we've seen with the, what, the leader of the Irriducibili, Diabolic, mm-hmm. um, meeting his fate on a park Fredato. bench. Fredato. shot in the back of the head in a kind of uh, mob gangland murder, mm-hmm. who's the, someone who is there to apparently keep the peace between the warring factions in the, uh, in the Ostian mob. De Rossi, for his part, didn't join a gang. But uh, not surprisingly, given that his dad was actually the uh, coach of Roma's Primavera, uh, was from a very young, a young age a footballer and a Roma fan. And after a short spell with Ostia, or Ostiense, their youth program, made the leap uh, in his early teens uh, to join the Gialarossia Trigoria. Do you think our listeners are as familiar with Ostia as we are? Perhaps not. Tell them a little bit about Ostia, if you will. So for those who don't know, if you look at a map and you've never been to Rome, you might think that Rome is uh, is on the water, except it's not. It's very close to the water. And there's a whole bunch of, of little towns, um, which are basically, a lot of Romans, I guess, who can't afford to go any further, have sort of homes there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, weekend homes, you can go to the beach or, or whatever. It's maybe like, an, I mean, the, well, depending on traffic, it can be anywhere from 45 minutes to you can get the metro. an hour and a half. Right. Ostia it, was essentially the Roman port that serviced, that, that was in charge of all the trade, etc., for the ancient city of Rome and remains this day of quite a major town. It's about, what, 400,000 or so? Yeah. Some incredible Roman remains there Romans as well. go to the beach there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Ostia Antica, I recommend going there. But yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, when... It gets to just April time and it starts heating up. You can literally just jump on the train and in, what, 15 minutes, you'll be on the beach. What, 15 yeah. minutes? Yes. I did it to when I went to go and see uh, Totti's A Decide team. You cannot go from Ostia Rome Antica. to Austria in 15 minutes. Get on the metro. Uh, now, when uh, De Rossi turned up then with the Gialarossi, he was kind of hailed as the, the next in 
Roma's rich line of, of, of uh, midfield greats, uh, more recent examples being people like Giannini and Totti. Now, Totti was the kind of goal-scoring golden child, as you say. Giannini would be the architect. So he was the prince. The prince was his nickname. What was De Rossi? A Capitano Futuro. That was his nickname. <laughs> mm. Capitano Futuro, Captain Future. Now, for those who who don't know, and again, because I have no idea, was, was does he mean it? Does Captain Future mean anything to you Anglos? No. I know it does. Okay. So, I thought he was some kind of Marvel superhero. No, he's no. not. He's a Japanese cartoon that was not quite as popular as uh, Capitan Harlock, which was the other big one. But in the 1980s, um, television in Italy and, and in Spain and in other European countries where you have a free market when it comes to television, it, it was flooded by Japanese cartoons, which would then get dubbed in different languages, which is weird because if you're so... It's why Italy, Greece, Spain, like we've, we've all watched, grew up watching the same cartoons as kids. And one of them was was Captain Future, who was sort of, as the name implies, was sort of a space-age guy um, who sort of had adventures in, in space. Okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but no, people sorry, think you were too busy of, no, watching the, the Wombles or the, whatever the you were is, watching. Like, I, I, this is such a huge thing because, like, right. uh, I'm more or less the same age as Daniel De Rossi. And you, you speak to any of any uh, footballers of that generation from the continent, they all relate to this cartoon, which I never saw as a kid. They always, they it's all... like Captain Tsubasa, exactly. right? Exactly. Oli exactly. yeah. 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 yeah, because... So, you, I because always assumed it's because he was going to be captain after Tossi finally hung up sure. his boots. He was, he was <laughs> the Obviously, he was but the it's a play on words with the cartoon character. Right, I get that now. But in terms of being a, what kind of a footballer he was, I mean, I think a lot of people who didn't follow his career that well kind of see him as a kind of Roy Keane de Noantri, you know, this kind of... Uh, this Casareggio kind of tough tackling uh, midfielder, but it was so much more to him than that. I don't think Roy Keane is a terrible no. analogy because even though you just put him down there, um, Roy Keane was a very talented footballer who had this other very physical side to his game. Again, there was a dating myself. It's a little bit of the Graham Sooners thing, right? These were actually people who could really play. This was not just, you know, ha-ha, bite your legs like Steve McMahon or Jimmy Case or people like that. He had that edge, and people love that to him, but he could also play. And one of the greatest transformations, which I'm sure we'll get to, I thought, was in the um, in the ill-fated Euros with Prandelli mm. when he played in that midfield with Pirlo and... Christ, Montolivo. Pirlo Monto and Marchisio. He was the guy who did the Pirlo role, yeah. you know, um, because yeah. he did have that... I mean, he's not people in terms of passing, but he had a tremendous range of passing. He's a very yeah. skillful player. Right. And also, I mean, I think he went from being a box-to-box midfield player when he first came out and someone who could really spray the ball about, but to being under Luis Enrique and in that Euros, someone who would um, drop between the centre-backs um, and allow the full-backs to push on. Interesting. He says when, when he was coming through, he wasn't sure at all of his position. But he says, most of all, he didn't like tackles. He described himself as a cagasotto, somebody who <laughs> essentially soiled themselves the prospect of physical well, the, contrast. The thing and is, aggression was something that he had to develop. I remember but, reading that, I just didn't believe him. It's Daniele, extraordinary, though, because he, he's, he is such an aggressive, you know, mostly in a very positive way, but he became such an aggressive player. And I mean, that tattoo, which in many ways defined his image, I think, for a lot of people. The stop sign mm. on, the, on the back of his calf, yeah, with the sliding tackle. But the thing is, Daniele... He scored an awful lot of goals as well. Yeah. I mean, particularly for the, for his country. I mean, he scored more goals for Italy than the likes of Viali, Ravanelli, Vieri, all these great he strikers. The, he is the second highest goal-scoring midfielder for Italy of all time and the highest-scoring midfielder since the Second World War. So it's kind of mm. like modern yeah. international football. Incredible. 
But I, I do think that uh, that passion, that fierce kind of attitude that he showed on the pitch is one of, again one of the reasons why fans loved him so much right. because he showed he cared, James, which is so important. It meant so much to him. Yeah, and a lot of players will, will show passion, but the interesting thing about De Rossi was the way that he, he just seemed to get it. You know, he was passionate to the right extent, but he also knew when to just take a step back. And there's that... Well, like when he Ooh, punched Stefano yeah, Mario. Say, okay, <laughs> okay the, I'm not he, saying there weren't times when he went in, over the in top. In Darby's, yeah. there were situations when, I think he'd be the first to admit, you know, he suffered from a disease called being Roman, where it just matters to you to such a degree that whether you're De Rossi or Paolo Di Cagno or Totti or whatever, like, it's just your brain short circuits. Um, was, was it the Stefano Mauri one where he, he punched him on yeah. the, yeah. on on the, um, it was, it was off a corner like, kick yeah. or some kind of set play? Yeah. And he just kind of turns and just whacks him and like... Well, they're kind of marking each other and as he turns around, he swings a, a But it's so obvious. I mean, he even yeah. said that he did it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, I mean, there's no question. And he, I think he, he got dropped from the national team and had a lengthy suspension at the time. There were suggestions that maybe that was going to be it for his Roma well, career because at various stages even though he's seen as a Roma legend it did look and he's talked about the fact that he thought he'd reached his last game with the Jalarossi on various occasions yeah I mean Gav mentioned it earlier how close he came to leaving the club just on the basis that he's someone who could as with Totti gone elsewhere and won so much more and perhaps earned um, an even bigger reputation and more respect on a global level um, had he left uh, left Rome, but he always found it, I think, so so difficult. And it was really interesting that year when his contract was running out, and he had the offer from City, and Mancini was desperate for him to come. And obviously, City could offer so much more money um, than Roma could, even though I think he became the he highest, second highest, second no, he highest, was the highest. Yeah, yeah, I think he was earning six and a half million net. Mm. You know, which keeping track at home is pretty darn close to two hundred grand a week. Yeah, and you know, ultimately he, I think one of the things that that again, just to come back on on Totti and De Rossi is, is is with Roma being a club that has only won three league titles, and if we look back now, hasn't won anything in more than a decade. Right. Roma fans find pride in that people like Francesco Totti and De Rossi chose to stay every year. Well, that's what that's what they found their pride in. Right. And it's interesting, the comparison with Totti, whose talent did help take Roma to the title. Mm. De Rossi debuting for the club under Fabio Capello in late 2001, just after the Scudetto, the, the last Scudetto they won, not making his proper Serie A debut to the following season. I mean, his Roma, this is in contrast to Totti, was, was destined to be a nearly side, a team that continually almost but not quite reached greatness. In 18 years, he was with them. They They were second in the league nine times extraordinary so you have this continual image of him kind of bravely battling uh, valiantly for this kind of semi-permanently lost cause that is is Roma <laughs> and it, and I was trying to think like what was their most painful second place and one of the more extraordinary ones was the year that and, and everybody's sort of forgotten this except for Roma fans I guess the year that Mourinho's Inter Milan won the treble you probably know the exact number, but it was, was it 11 points back that they were or 13 points behind? That was the lead that Inter had. Yeah. Um, Inter have this enormous lead and they fritter it all the way and Roma push ahead. And then, of course, they come up against Giampaolo Pazzini and... They, Cassano. And, yeah, and, and they lose. And that... Philippe Mexes in tears on the bench. Yeah. I think that was, they felt that was as close as they came in De Rossi's career when they had 
Rudy Garcia first season and they won their first 10 games. I think, again, they believed at that time as well. Um, but ultimately, you know, they came up short, James. But as De Rossi has said before, who supports Roma never loses. That's very nice. No. So. That is nice. If you want a, uh, an image of him battling for a lost cause, it's funny how many of his goals symbolize that. Uh, how many of his biggest and, and best goals? I mean, he I talks mean, he scored it. in the 7 1. That's the thing. <laughs> Probably the darkest moment that pretty much any fan of any club will ever have that 7 1 defeat away at Old Trafford. 6 0. Who is it who pops up with a quite phenomenal goal? Yeah. It's got to be his One best goal. One of the goal, great though. forgotten goals. Yeah. Yeah. So Totti crosses it. And I don't even know how he does it, but he, he kind of. Sideways on, just kind of no look flicks it in past uh, Van der Sar. Stretto da allargarsi da Fletcher e poi un gran gol di De Rossi. Gol bellissimo allo Trafford. Colazampa there with probably his quietest commentary ever. <laughs> and another one, and, and you mentioned his touch, the incredibly delicate little move he makes on the ball just to take it past Casillas in a, a goal that he scored at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Roma losing 4 2, but uh, De Rossi. Uh, getting that. I mean, he was famous for his tackles, but could pass the ball, great header, but also scored some wonderful goals. Yeah, that was in Japan, Italy against Japan. This is from 2004, when De Rossi, pretty much on the edge of the area, Ball comes flying in and he executes a wonderful overhead kick. Mm. Really not something I, you know. Philippe Mexer style. Yeah. When you think of De Rossi goals, they usually think of the missiles. I mean, a couple of examples. His first goal is a missile against Torino. Right. Inside the box. There's a wonderful one he scores against uh, Juve at the Olympico when they're losing 3-1. I mean... <laughs> it all seems to fit that pattern. There was a, a, an screamer against Toldo in the Super Cup with, with Inter, uh, which which took it to 2-2 and then Roma lost on penalties. But but he was there. De Rossi presente. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show, in association with FopMob. Liga Bui there with his celebrated hit, Una Vita da Mediano. Do you want to translate that for us, Gab? So the Mediano, and because we're obsessive about tactics in Italy, um, there's about 80 different ways to go and describe uh, the position on the pitch. But the Mediano very loosely is the guy who sits in front of the back four and, and wins it. Right. You might know it as the, the defensive midfielder or the Makalele position. Where De Rossi spent so much of his career. And as Liga Bui uh, sings in the song, a life spent as a ball-winning midfielder, Sometimes years of sweat and tackles, and then you might end up winning a World Cup. And, of course, that happened to Daniele <laughs> De Rossi. At 2006, let's talk about that year. It was a big one for DDR. Just leading up to this, I know we've talked about 2006 before, but everybody knows it came after Calciopoli. Yeah. Even though we didn't know this at the time, and I think this is more relevant in the context of the nine second places, 
this is the only big Italian club that wasn't even touched marginally by Calciopoli because of how Inter had the Facchetti conversations and whatever, which may have been irrelevant or not. I don't know. But, you know, if we don't mention that, then Juve fans get their panties in a twist. But Roma, legit. Wait till the Inter fans hear was you never, say that. No, well, whatever. <laughs> it, it's a factual thing. I mean, right. then and then the courts decide what's relevant, what's not relevant. But I think this really, really weighed on him going into it. I had the opportunity to, um, to interview him several times, but, you know, one in particular where, you know, he kind of looked back on that. And he sort of talked about how you're at a World Cup, you're living with these other people, and how he said one of the challenges could have been from the outside saying, wait, you're the guys who've been screwing us over the whole time, and now you're my teammates? And he said you kind of looked at the individual and the way you deal with it, you looked at the individual and said this is somebody I've known you the whole time, and you may have benefited from this. The court certainly found that they did, but in some ways you're a victim as well. Mm of, of this system. And I mean, you can see his, you can see the logic behind that argument. Absolutely. But, I mean, the thing with Daniele, and this slightly relates to that as well, is that um, when he was growing up, and this is true for a lot of Romans, it's Roma, 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 they're not interested really in the national team. Yeah. Uh, you could say the same with Florentines. Yeah. Okay. Great. Brilliant. The national team. But if I have a choice, I'll watch Roma every day or something like that. And yet he talks about when he's called up to the national team and he goes to Coviciano and he walks through those corridors and he sees all the kind of photos of the various players who've worn that shirt, who've lifted the World Cup and all that sort of thing. When he dorms there and he basically ends up rooming with Andrea Pirlo. Is this in the under-21s? No, it's his... his, his senior. Because yeah. he'd already been a European champion with uh, the under-21s. He'd come right through. But he he gets it. He's very... I mean, he's a very, very proud to wear that shirt. Mm. I remember after the 2010 World Cup, remember skipping ahead now, was it to that? No, it's 2014, when he, and this is something that's always distinguished Daniele and Gigi Buffon, they are the guys who face up to the media when something goes wrong. They're not afraid to take responsibility, call people out, call themselves out. And, you know, I don't think you do that unless you have a very deep love for the blue shirt that you're pulling on. 2017 when Italy are on the verge of not even making it to the World Cup in Russia. There's the uh, Spareggio with, with, with Sweden <laughs> yeah. at San Siro, when Ventura turns to send him on, and you can see him on TV just saying, what the cazzo are you doing? But Insigne Put Insigne on. We need to win this game. And then afterwards, and this is one of the great stories about De Rossi, after the game, what does he do? He's basically, this team, is just Sweden has just ended his, his chances of going to the World Cup. Dorossi goes to the Swedish team bus and he gets on board and Pontus Janssen uh, basically told the, the press after basically he came on and he said he wanted to apologise for how some of the players behaved during the match and that the fans booed our national anthem and all our Swedish players were just looking at each other going, did that just happen? Well, but if his career had taken a different turn, he might have been known for something else in 2006, mm. which obviously in the um, Italy-USA game in, in Kaiserslautern, the elbow on right. Brian McBride. Now, I've had the opportunity to know both of them. I've worked with Brian McBride, one of the nicest men in the world, but, you know, he is sort of, you know, big middle America center forward, and he he goes and he absolutely clocks him. Um, and he gets sent off, rightly so, when he gets a long suspension. Full game ban, so he doesn't come back until the final. But that was, you know, immediately after the game, he went straight. Into, into the dressing room. I think, I think he might have even been in the dressing room 
before McBride got there because he got treatment. Um, and he goes there to apologize. Mm. Um, so 2006. He apologized to his teammates for getting sent off and mm. he apologized to, 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 to McBride, which, you know, again, yes, it's the kind of thing you should do. A lot of people do that, but he does it spontaneously without anybody telling him to do it. And while he obviously divided opinion for other reasons, which we may or may not get to, um, the guy has like a tremendous moral compass yeah. in terms of what's right and what's so, wrong. Yeah. As it turned out, that wasn't what he was remembered for entirely for that uh, World Cup, because in the final he comes on for Totti, I think, against France, and takes part in the shootout, and this time around is on the winning side. Just think about this, right? You get sent off in the first game, you're disgraced. People are saying, Lippi, send him home. Get rid of him. And the next time your country sees you, is coming on to take a penalty, the most clutch penalty, high pressure situation, where the hopes of a nation essentially fall on your shoulders. You've already kind of this, think of the pressure he he had to bear. Italy at a two-one up at this point. Trezeguet has just missed France's second spot. Kick. I mean, the balls to to say. Marcello, I'll take one. Mm. After everything he'd essentially put Lippi through and the whole perception of him as being someone who'd almost ruined Italy's chances of qualifying, again, is a measure of the character, I mm. think, of De Rossi. Tutto di un pezzo. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, big year for him, 2006, because also that year, do you remember there was the, um, the goal that he scored? Roma were playing Messina and there were... A goal down when uh, De Rossi this. heads it in. And he, he goes over to the ref and says, actually, no, I, um, I handled. So chalk yeah. that one off. Yeah, pay attention, Willy Bully. This is how, <laughs> this is how real men behave. But yeah, but he had... I mean, um, the theme running through mm-hmm. here is just integrity, you know? Yeah. Which, so the other thing, and the other big thing that happened in 2006 for De Rossi was he got married to um, a dancer called Tamara Pisnoli, uh, with whom he has a daughter. She's... Yeah, yeah. A, Right. Gaia, yeah. She is an interesting... Which is the reason that he has those Teletubby tattoos. Two Teletubbies tattooed in bright colours on his arm with Gaia in between and, and a little bit of Latin. But um, Pisnali is an interesting figure <laughs> because, first of all, her father, two years later, dies in a Ganlang slaying, yeah. uh, worthy of Subura. He's basically found near... I can't remember which station, but a station on the suburbs with a, a shot in the back... And also, he'd been shot, they put a rifle in his mouth, apparently, and pulled the trigger. Which, you know, it's alleged um, that uh, he was involved in a bank robbery. Who? Um, Pisnoli. Yeah, Pisnoli. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And no, that think... he hadn't shared the money. Well, okay, so Tamara Pisnoli, the daughter, then herself gets arrested on charges of kidnapping and assault. <laughs> I think they were they were split by then. So oh, yeah, were, yeah, yeah. This is after they'd split up. Yeah, yeah to yeah. be clear, like, he was with her. For you know, they got married a he couple of years, for a couple yeah. Of years and yeah, then, and later on she's then, yeah. yeah, that that family like is yes, as James said, it's straight mm. out of a, <laughs> straight out of a film. Dorothy then uh, finds love elsewhere, and and and, and this time somewhat more successfully but what, what an extraordinary background what an extraordinary thing to have uh, going on I, I seem to remember Italy had a qualifier um, I think it was against Georgia can't remember but I think he scores and he's interviewed after the game and he either mentions he dedicates or, he, the, he dedicates uh, the yeah. goal and he got in a lot of trouble for it um, to his slain father-in-law um, and that I think 
he did that because he was remembering the man he knew, uh, the father of his ex-wife and grandfather of his daughter, rather than yeah, the criminal, which is light and shade. Some people can't distinguish the two. Right. I'm in light and shade. Punch in the face for Stefano Maori. Uh, but at the same time, good good things. I mean, the person he's, he's with now, who I believe is the mother of his other children, mm-hmm. um, is actually one of your people, James. Born in England. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. Sarah Felberbaum, who's, yeah. um, I think she's, she's half American, half English, and but an actress, and I think she grew up in Rome. And it's part, I suspect that's part of the reason why this is another weird thing. As, as you know, we Italians are sort of genetically modified to be incapable of speaking decent English. I would argue that we are worse at speaking foreign languages really? on the whole than English people are at foreign languages. Well, English people. Anyway, um, Daniele De Rossi, it's uncanny. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably better than anybody who's ever played for Italy, except for... <laughs> You know, except for the guys who are, except for like Benzo Giorgio Canaglia, yeah, or like Robbie D, or the ones who, the ones who obviously played in England. Mm. And you know, I asked him like, "Well, what's the deal?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know. You know, my my wife, the kids go to an English school, help with the homework, movies." And he gets all bashful about it, like, but it is, it's it, it, it's pretty remarkable. It's also his. I mean, his final game. He just put on his Spotify playlist, I suppose, which is just all Oasis, Mumford and Sons. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, but I mean, I, I remember interviewing Justin Clivert last year, and obviously, Justin's only started now to speak some Italian. But he is this when like, he admitted that the Greek god is faster than he is? The Greek god Kostas Manolas is the was the fastest player at Roma, right. um, but Daniele's crucial for foreign players who come come over speak English but don't speak Italian because um, you know, obviously he is Roman can teach them everything about the club about the city but can also communicate to them in, in another language so wow. that's 2006 becomes a World Cup winner 2007-2008 Spalletti pairs him with uh, Davide Pizarro in the heart of the Roman midfield uh, again they come second that year but De Rossi wins Serie A player of the year. When you talk about the good things, the the sense of honour, at least the sense of principle or ethics that, that seem to be there with uh, De Rossi, that there, there's so many things. One example, actually, you mentioned, James, was the World Cup winning medal that he received. Yeah, which um, he, he buried um, with Spazzolino, who was the kit man for the national team for a long time, for a long time, passed away. Um, and at his funeral, De Rossi buried his uh, World Cup winner's medal with him. Um, and I think that goes to show that it's not about what you win, the trophies that you get, the silverware. It's about the people you meet, the experiences that you have. Those are what you remember. Um, and um, I thought that was a quite remarkable gesture, which... Mm particularly from somebody who didn't receive many winning medals. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I mean, oh, he might get one now with Boca. Yeah, that's the thing. I think another point to be made here about him is that, you know, James mentioned before when he went and he, he faced the media, um, was it after the the, the, the Uruguay yeah. game, right? Yeah. In, in 2014, when Italy were knocked out, he gave very few one-on-one interviews in, in his career um, and, and still doesn't. Um, but when it's necessary to go and, and front a situation and take it on the chin for the whole team, um, he's the guy who does it. And I think also it's emerged that, 
the conventional wisdom in 2014 was that, I mean, there's a lot of people why they went out. For those who don't remember, Italy were in a group with Costa Rica, England, and, and Uruguay. He beat England. Um, and then in the final game, the, the Uruguay, that's the game where Luis Suarez decided to munch on, on Giorgio Chiellini and, and whatever. And Prandelli got all his substitutions wrong. Balotelli Half got... Half-time bust up. Yeah, he got blamed. He was supposed to be the big star and whatever. But one of the people who, in the dressing room, ultimately stuck up for Balotelli, and this is somebody who probably doesn't like Balotelli at all as a, as a person, was De Rossi. One of the people who then brought things down into perspective and said, look, you know, yeah, he sucked and he's a jackass, but let's all look at ourselves. We can't be a team when we win and not be a team when we lose, which, you know, stuff that sounds corny. But I think coming from him, especially because that was a World Cup where the people who turned on him in the dressing room, who turned on Balotelli, I mean, Balotelli, I think, deserved a lot of what he got in that. But, you know, he certainly wasn't the only one was responsible. But a lot of people who turned on him were a lot of the, the, the veterans mm. uh, in the team, the people who'd been there, who'd done that, a lot of the leaders. I don't want to name names, but you guys all know who I'm talking about. And to have De Rossi effectively stand up to them, again, that speaks to his character. He didn't need, he could have thrown Balotelli, everybody wanted to throw Balotelli under the bus, literally at that point, right? It would have been very easy. Let's just have Balotelli and Prandelli as the two, as the two scapegoats and let's move on. But, you know, he, he came out and he also stuck out for another guy. Do you remember Alessio Cerci? Yeah. Like, you know, who just comes on, just loses the ball three times and like, he stuck up for him too. Um, you know, at a very, very tense moment. It's January 2020, the Rome derby, and in the Curva Sud, there's a weird-looking figure with a beard and long, straggly hair, waving a flag and singing. Curiously, it's not James Horncastle, <laughs> but Daniele De Rossi, who's donned an elaborate disguise to be among the heart of his club supporters, where, in actual fact, of course, he'd been for 18 years. Roma's captain there, no longer the future, just enjoying the game. A really fitting moment for a player who didn't really care about recognition very much at all. No, and I think this is the thing people often underestimate about Rome, Romans and players who play for Roma is how difficult it is to go out and live a normal life in that city. And for someone who uh, grew up supporting that club, but partly because he was a professional player for that club, couldn't go and watch them among fans. I think that was a, a lifetime ambition of his. Um, that with the help of his actress wife got some makeup artist to come and uh, disguise him um, and he kind well, of weirdo, didn't he, though? he did look like a weirdo but <laughs> he looked he, like somebody you wouldn't he, want to stand next to he, he kept uh, he kept the promise which was you know in that f- final press conference at Roma he said you know one day guys you'll see me uh, at a Roma game with a can of beer in my hand and a panino in the other and you know I'll be watching along with you guys and it's not easy for him because he gets mobbed everywhere he goes even though he now jogs along the Tiber every morning I mean this is the other thing about him is that a lot of Roma players live outside of the city or they live in Casal Polocco which is one of the suburbs closer to uh, Trigoria, the training ground. He lives right in the center. Yeah, he lives Castel Sant'Angelo Campo di Fiori and he walks around as though he's just anyone else um, you know goes into the market in Campo di Fiori and I think again that proximity of someone who 
yeah, footballers today are so it's so difficult to relate to them. Uh, I think he's still got love for the he's for still the streets. St- <laughs> yes, Ryan. Okay, six hundred sixteen games, sixty three goals in all competitions yeah. for the Jalarossi in uh, eighteen seasons, and then finished off with that move to South America. You, yeah, I mean, as you were pointing out, Gabby, you often hear people talking about the magic of. Boca Juniors and and the romance of all this, but he actually went out there and, and, and did it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not going to match the uh, romance of, you know, Shanghai, Shenhua, or Alsad, <laughs> but... Um, but he did finally win a title. Yeah. He only had, I think, six games, although opinion is divided on this. Some people say five, some people say seven with Boca Juniors. Retired at Christmas, but they recently did seal the the Argentine First Division, and apparently he is now officially Argentine champion. Wow. I mean, he did say when he, he left quite abruptly in, in January that, one, his body just kept breaking down on mm. him, and two, he was, he was very far from home, and his eldest daughter, Gaia, who we mentioned earlier, missed her dad, and he wanted to be a dad for her, which, again, again heart bleeds, James. Wow, yeah, yeah. Another of his tattoos, actually, is a bleeding heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. And uh, what, what a fitting way to end a career that, uh, for him, in his words, was incredibly satisfying. Yes, the club may have been eternally second to a succession of other champions, but he got to play for the team that he loved, and he got to play way beyond what he expected as a youth. I don't, I don't think he ever thought that he would reach those kind of levels for that long. And he stayed captain future until... Until the very end. I, th- this is the other thing. I remember, like, you know, asking him about this. I said, like, at some point, you must have thought, all right, it's great, but at some point, Francesco's going to go. He's Prince Charles. And it's going to be my team. <laughs> yeah, it really is, right? And he's like, he's like, you know, I came to terms with that a long time ago. I realized that I would always be Captain Future because, you know, even if he retired earlier or he left or whatever... He's never really going to leave. Like, Totti will always be Roma. Roma will always be Totti. So, you know, I, I never saw it as filling those shoes, but I said, you know, let me let me try to become, like, a compliment to what Totti brings to the table. And I thought that made a lot of sense because, you know, I mean, obviously we've done, we did a double episode on Totti. People like that are going to be different types, a different sort of captain and leader. I don't know that, you know, Totti would go up to, like, the reserve left back and cheer him up. I don't know if Totti has the words to do that or if he can relate to that. I, I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going right. back to the right. Totti is thicko thing, but like, I don't know if he can relate to an ordinary human, right. you know, but as you pointed out earlier, De Rossi can, you know, De Rossi one-on-one is, is just a tremendous experience. And I am so curious to know, you know, what's he going to do when he grows up? Well, it all ended for Roma with Totti, as I say, blinking back the tears and Bruno Conti as well, when De Rossi uh, finally hang up his boots that, that day against Parma at the Stadio Olimpico. Were you in tears there, James? No, I think I, I remember this very vividly because it's, I expected to be moved. As, even people who are detached from a situation like that so often are when they're caught up in it. Mm. But I just couldn't stop smiling because I, I, I felt that he was more mature about it than Francesco. He was prepared for it, and he had prepared for it for the for the last year or so. Partly because Roma hadn't been in touch <laughs> about about signing a new contract until very late, so he he kind of knew it was coming. Um, and just to see him out there with his wife, his kids, 
and just do laps and laps of honor and have scarves thrown at him, put scarves over one of his, his son Noah's uh, neck. Um, and the time he spent under the court of Asud as well, just kind of communing with his people, um, was a really kind of special experience. And I, I think, uh, yeah, as I, as, as I keep mentioning, De Rossi is one of them. He would have been an ultra in the court of Asud had he not been a player. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's, that's uh, artistic license saying that. I think that is true. So. Maybe he will be now in the future. I think he he would like at some stage to perhaps manage that team. But it's such a curious thing. I mean, it's a broader issue of, you know, what do legends, especially ones associated with a club, what do they do when it's all over? And the ones who go back, inevitably, with very few exceptions, I, either they just become club ambassadors and wave, which is what, you know, kind of what Totti did. Mm. But if they have pride, they often don't want to do that or you know unless it's bobby charlton something like that does it but you know Body whatever social. stop it <laughs> um or or inevitably they have come to terms with the fact that they're not going to be as good as an as an executive or manager as they were as a player and that's gotta that's gotta hurt right mm-hmm. well i guess we'll see Daniele De Rossi there on this episode of Golanzo. if you've enjoyed it do look out for our other episodes there are very many of them on a broad range of subjects, not just Roma midfielders. For now, though, it's many thanks once again to Gabardelli Marcotti and James Horncastle. And you, listener, will be back with more fantastic memories from the wonderful world of Calcio soon on Galazzo. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Muddy Knees Media.